We're going international this week. Everything from Australia to Latin America. You're going to want to stay tuned as we kick off year number three on the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 95. We are rapidly approaching that 100 mark. It would appear as though we're probably going to hit episode number 100 like the week after we hit the official three-year anniversary of the show mark. No, would it be three years? I think technically this is the third year we're doing it, but the second full year. And what what better to honor going into year three than to talk about absolutely no indie ball in the United States? Exactly. It doesn't get much more perfect than that this week. And uh, I know people are thinking, no indie ball, at least as you know it this week. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the biggest story of the week is mainly out of Australia. And it does Mm. technically involve one of those more major leagues but outside of that there really is like nothing i mean technically there's there's three rivers talk that's going to take all of five minutes and uh an atlantically camp is going to take all of two minutes to talk about but uh, yeah. yeah no we'll spot on this one there's like nothing uh at all to talk about this week as far as uh really indie ball across the board goes so thank god for the american association continuing to make moves uh left and right to keep this show afloat because we didn't have a guest lined up uh hopefully we'll get back to those interviews uh, next week or the week after we want to get back on top of those and we'll get a whole assortment of them you want to hear more about that kind of a thing last episodes for you but i guess now nearly two and a half minutes in we should probably just dive right into uh the news as it were as far as this um <clears throat> american association and australian uh, australian league partnership i honestly think it's a it's a great move for both sides just because it really provides american association fans who have watched certain guys play the entire spring and summer and it gives them an opportunity to to, to really watch them when because so many of these guys go to winter leagues. I mean, it's not just they're, they're they don't just play in the Atlantic League or American Association or whatever. I mean, the winter leagues are a really big part of indie ball, and so I really like the move specifically by the American Association. I would have liked to see the Atlantic League do something as well, and unfortunately, unfortunately, they haven't. But it really makes a lot of sense just because there's a lot of similarities in the roster and specifically this year because the American Association was the only league that played. And there, there's a lot of interest from Australian league teams in guys that either that re- really more pitched than anything in the American Association just because a lot of teams already kind of have their position players or they have like local guys. There's like a point system over there. I won't really get into it. It's a, it's a little complicated, but really what these winter ball teams need is pitching and specifically starting pitching is really important because they don't have as much of that. It, it's really the same for all foreign leagues. They really look for um, American pitching or pitchers who really pitch in the, uh, in the Americas during, during the uh, spring and summer seasons. So I really think it's, there's a lot of, similarities roster wise between the Australian league and the American association. And it's really smart in my opinion for both leagues to try and make a, uh, make a partnership about around it. And I think, I think it's really going to work well. 
Yeah, it definitely seems like it's going to work out well, but we are just going to backtrack real quick just to explain the partnership here in case right. you hadn't seen it. Um, on Tuesday, meaning this past Tuesday, uh, the American Association announced a partnership with the Australian Baseball League, as you can probably gather by now, and it will have on and off the field effects originally going to work with just video streaming marketing and then a potential exchange between uh, personnel between seasons so that could be umpires that could be players that could be coaches that could be staff that could be whatever it may be uh, personnel is just kind of the catch-all term for it and it'll be you know you spend your warm months here and then in the colder months in the u.s you would go over to australia and uh, as you could guess there are going to be streaming some uh American Association games on the Australian platform. On the uh, American Association platform, they're going to stream some Australian games. There's actually a full uh, slate schedule of games out right now. You can go to our show notes and you can find that full slate of uh, games. They're already starting to stream some of them now. So you can go ahead and take a look at that. Unfortunately, most of them are in the wee hours of the morning because of the time difference. So uh, be aware of that. And there's going to be more details coming in the next few weeks about the whole partnership here. And uh, yeah, from what I gather, it seems to be a, a very good partnership. Like you said, it gives people a chance to continue to follow their favorite kind of independent players. And I will say, though, from, at least from what I can see and from what I'm looking at, what the American Association pushes out, there is still a decent number of position players that are playing over in Australia. I think Dan McTomshay was one of them. Blake Gallion was another one of them. I want to say Connor Willis was one, but I'm not totally sure on him. There's another couple, too, as well. So it's not like it's all just Australian position players. There are still some right. American and uh, Latin American uh, players as well that go over there. Although I think more uh, Latin American players tend to play in the Dominican, the Venezuelan, or the Mexican Winter Leagues. But uh, that's neither here nor there at the moment. The point is, it definitely does seem like it, it'll have a, a positive effect on a lot of guys and obviously on... Uh, fans and whatnot however what i am wondering is if this is ever going to become an exclusivity thing where if you sign in the american association the australian league has first right of refusal to take a player in other words if you sign with let's say the the gary real cats that then when you mm -hmm. go to play winter ball an Australian league team, whichever one you want, I think there's only like eight of them, uh, any of them could go, yeah, no, we want him to play over here in Australia first, and you'd be obligated to go play over in Australia, as opposed to, say, taking a better deal to play in Mexico or, or the Dominican Republic. And if that were the case, then that would be something I'd be very concerned about, just from a player perspective, yeah. because obviously uh, you just want to sign a contract for a certain length of time. Now, I'm not sure if they, legally speaking, could do that or not, but it does seem like something that could potentially exist, at least in the wording of a contract. So it is something I'm going to be interested to see if that happens. I don't really think it will be the case because I think that would then really diminish a lot of your talent because I think a lot of guys would rather go to South America and play rather than Australian mm -hmm. play. But it is something of concern of mine. I definitely agree with that. I think that j just really in, in any contract that's saying that oh because you played for the gary railcats to use your example mm -hmm. during the spring and summer now you're obligated to go play in like you let's say you do really well and now you're obligated no matter what to fly halfway across the world to australia to play when maybe you don't want to play 
or in the uh, in probably the most common case is you have uh, an opportunity in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Mexico to make more money. And in the case of Mexico, which we'll get into a little bit later, if you play well in a league like the Mexican uh, in the Mexican Winter League, these Mexican Summer League teams that that pick up guys from the Atlantic League so often, they're watching. And they're in, and really good performance in the winter league oftentimes leads to contracts for a lot of money for those re- regular Mexican summer league teams. So I, I agree with you. I'd be really concerned if that's what they meant. I don't I don't think that's what they meant because I, I don't think that would make a, a whole lot of sense. I don't see how the American Association would really uh, they, they got to be smarter than that than to do um and to do that binding of a partnership, I would think. But I, I think that even though the, the wording is, is a little bit vague, maybe it could be something like if you want to play in the Australian League, then they have like a, a pipeline with a specific team, like two specific teams. Like, I don't know, Gary and like Melbourne and like Sydney. I, I don't know. Like, m- maybe that's more what they meant. Okay, I, but okay, I can't I see what you're I saying. I, but I can't see it being so binding in the sense that. The Sydney Blue Sox like uh, really want the Gary Railcats ace. Contractually speaking, you're obligated to go. Uh, you're obligated to go to Australia for two months. I, I can't see that being the how, how it works. Like I said, I don't think that is, but it is something of concern because if it is in there, and I mean, would it be that shocking to see something like that in there? If if it were the case, then it, you know it is concerning certainly, but. Uh, like like you were saying, I don't think it is the case, but but still, it's just something I wanted to throw out there because it is, on some level, a realistic concern. I would say, with every partnership, really, you you got to watch what's the uh, kind of ancillary effects to it, I guess. But regardless of any of that, here I do want to just kind of throw this one question out because I saw this question kind of thrown out online a lot, and I think there is a, at least some worth of discussion from it, which is. Do you see the American Association making these partnerships, whether it be with tech companies, whether it be with uh, other leagues, whether it be with Major League Baseball or whomever it is? They've been doing an awful lot of work in the offseason, and uh, certainly Josh Shopson's taking over for uh, Miles Wolf has been doing an awful lot to raise the profile of the American Association. And clearly, he's been very out front. He's been, you know, going on various shows. He's been getting involved, making his presence known. He's no stranger uh, in independent league circles. And that's obviously an important thing, and you see it's clearly working. So the question that I have is, do you think that the American Association has kind of become that premier independent league or is really beginning to challenge the Atlantic League for this? Keep in mind, they were the only ones that really played last year. We're going to discount the kind of circuit leagues and whatever the hell the Pecos League was doing because apparently they played, mm-hmm. but, I mean, they're the Pecos League. So Did they play? Did they play? Technically, they did, according to their the, Facebook I mean, they page. Kind of, I mean, they, they put nine players on each side on a baseball diamond somewhere. Yeah, so I mean, technically, they named a champion for 2020, which remember that whole feud that was happening between like everybody in the Pecos League way back oh, in the beginning yes. of the year. Yeah, yeah, remember that? Yes, yes. Yeah, that wasn't yep. fun to get in the middle of. I gotta be see, honest. See, back back in those days, we thought that was our biggest problem. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I always forget a lot of angry emails and text messages and a slew of other things from Pecos League people and then from people that were anti-Pecos League. It was really just not a fun time in <laughs> general to be here. But, uh, you know, I just I do wonder with that question, like, where does the American Association kind of find more standing? I mean, we talked about this a bit last week during the Q&A show, I know. I know we kind of threw this question out here because, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, the Atlantic League's still number one. You know, you just think of them as the top dog. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's clear the American Association is gunning for it. Oh, yeah. I think that's a reasonable question. And to be honest with you, I don't think that's something we'll note. We really have an answer to right now, just because there's so much up in the air with the Atlantic League. I mean, currently we have six teams or we know they're going to add teams. We don't know who or how many. And, and the American Association, even though they lost two teams this offseason, theoretically, they could just roll with the league they have and be just fine. So I think that there, there's a lot of uncertainty with the Atlantic League, which is why I kind of want to see things more get get more settled before before like before I really have an answer to this. If that makes sense. It, however, I will say the American Association is certainly raising their profile. I mean, through through partnerships like this. I mean, being the only league to to figure out how to play uh, during the 2020 season. Although that's not. I mean, j just based on the markets that they play in, yes, it's obviously easier to uh, have games in the Dakotas than it is to have in New Jersey and New York. That's simply, that's just the fact of the matter. So I, I think that um, I I'd like to see, you know, like what happens during the season. Even, even pre-pandemic, we were having some concerns because of the Atlantic League rules, if you remember that article oh, yeah. uh, we wrote together, uh, I mean, you saw, I mean, you saw Telvin Nash before he ended up getting signed in Japan. He was going to play for the St. Paul Saints, and that was quite a news story when it broke. Obviously, yeah. he never and he ended up not not playing for St. Paul and go to Japan and make a lot more money as he should. Yeah, uh, but it, it, it's an interesting question. Uh, I don't know if there's a clear-cut answer at the moment just because of how uh, how everything's really up in the air with the Atlantic League, but it's it's definitely a conversation now. I, I, I'll, I'll put it like that. I wish we could go back to those times where like, we kept talking about the Telvin Nash coup where he just managed to sign with uh, St. Paul and then go to Japan, like you're saying, and everything like that, and then talking about how are the rules really that terrible and everything. That, that was nice when we were talking about that as the big thing instead of maybe we'll play this year, hopefully we'll play this year, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, that was nice, but... Good times. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but back on to the point of the matter, I do, I do look at it now where it's like, okay, they are getting a lot closer, and I think last week I was saying they're kind of a 1A and a 1B type thing. And I think when you see they're starting to work with Australian League and they're working with a slew of others and everything, when you put it together, they are certainly making a case for it. I mean, if you want to just kind of do a compare and contrast between the two of them, you have the Atlantic League that originally had the partnership with Major League Baseball. Obviously, the rules thing wasn't exactly uh, top-of-the-line thrilling for a lot of... Uh, 
a lot of players, they had their issues with it and they had issues with the trackman data. Obviously, you've also lost two teams, uh, and not to mention two of your, I'd say, top teams, probably numbers one and three as far as prestige ranking goes in, in just this offseason alone. Uh, you have still only a six-team league, and they're fairly spread out. You have three kind of in the middle, two in North Carolina, and then one all on its lonesome in New York. They're kind of on a decline on that front here. But the fact of the matter is they've still existed since, what, 98? So it's not like they're going anywhere. They're still a very strong league. They still have six very good teams, from which clearly you're not going to be leaving anytime soon. You're still adding in Gastonia right now to be team number six. They're clearly looking to expand. And quite frankly, Mm -hmm. I think they're going to be still well and fine. And if you want to look on the health and the pro side of the American Association, the only real difference is they've gotten a lot more positive news. They've lost the same amount of teams. Granted, the percentage is technically different because they had more teams to begin with. But they lost a team that, quite frankly, is probably the best in independent league baseball in St. Paul. Then on the flip side, you lost Texas, which... Let's be honest, they've been hanging on by a thread for a while now, and this is just kind of the the death kneel of it all. And if you just want to compare on those fronts, one's just had good news as of late, the other one hasn't. If you want to take it back one whole year, we'd be talking a different story. And if we want to look forward a whole year, we're probably going to be saying, now they're just neck and neck. Like, I'm interested to see where this goes here. But just from seeing the... The question posed for a minute, I was like, yeah, no, the American Association really is pushing. But at the same time, it is a lot easier when you could say, okay, we can do three pods all fairly close to each other. And then when you realize the six teams that were playing last year all fairly close by, it's a lot easier to make that work uh, just simply than having to drive from, you know, northern New Jersey, Long Island, all the way down to North Carolina, and then you have to deal with, what, one, two, three, four, five states in between? Yeah. So, or, uh, wait, forgot about Delaware, six states, at least five, maybe six or seven states when everything's all said and done that you have to drive through and probably have to interact with the population in those states. So it's going to be a lot, uh, a lot more different and a lot more difficult on that front there. So I'm not sure if this whole rambling made any sense, but uh, in the long and short of it, I think that you still have the Atlantic League as that top league. However, if they don't get good news soon or they don't, you know, announce a plan like, oh, we're going to Lowell and we're going to Tri-City or we're going to Alabama and we're going to Tri-City or whatever two cities they want to say to to get back up to eight and you see the american association continuing to march on and maybe they add like Kane county and clinton or something like that and they continue with the partnerships they continue with the good news that's been coming out then i think we have a discussion that's a really legitimate one where it becomes a lot hard to continue to justify the atlantic league as number one but at least as of now i still think the atlantic league is on top of the pile yeah, I, I would agree. If we go into the twenty twenty, excuse me, the twenty twenty one season w- with like a six team league, and we still don't know, we really still don't, we don't know what markets we're adding. Uh, we still don't really know what we're doing, uh, and like maybe I don't know. God knows what the rules would be at this point. And to be honest, I think that's the least of anyone's concerns, uh, which is odd considering where we started the year. Yeah. Uh, so I think that if we reach that point where 
we, we, we reach a point where there's only where we're they're having a six team league for a year and they're trying to make it work. You could definitely have that argument. I, I although I think now I think it's a little early to say like what's going to happen with them just because there's so much up in the air. We don't know who they're going to add. We don't know what their plans are. However, I think they've earned the chance. So I, I think they've earned the chance before writing them off. I think I think it just makes the most sense just to see where things go in the next couple months and see what the Atlantic League decides to do as far as teams next year. And then if the negative news keeps on coming, then well, I guess there's we have no choice but to have that um, that that conversation. But I think for now, I, I'm still pretty comfortable in saying that, uh, although the, it is a conversation that the Atlantic League is still uh, the top dog until until further notice. Yeah, I think this is the kind of conversation <clears throat> that in October is when we revisit, where we go, okay, each of these seasons are done. Where, where do we stand right now? Because keep in mind, there is the potential that the American Association could do something wrong. Like, we're just talking the positive here, but it's very possible that they could maybe make some sort of a change that's not popular, or they could lose another team, or... Maybe they add marks that just don't work out. There's a slew of possibilities here. Or maybe they uh, they do something to their broadcast that doesn't pan out. Whatever it is, there's a slew of possibilities, uh, at least here, for what could happen. So I think this is something that gets backburned for a bit. But uh, going forward, I think it is something that is worth watching and seeing what happens and how it plays out. Because, again, we are, I think, one year away from being able to uh, finally hand that crown over to somebody else. But... To be fair, there's still work that needs to be done before anything like that happens. And so I guess with that, I think we said all we can about the Australian and American yeah. uh, partnership there. Yep. So with that, we go now to the uh, Three River Eagles. There, They got some new staff here. Uh, Renee Martin gets promoted from general manager to team president. He's been with the team for a while now, so uh, that's not uh, terribly surprising. He's going to handle more of a general sales type thing, you know, do general manager type things, the boring business stuff. Uh, or not general manager things, going to handle team president things, some more business oriented stuff, less team oriented stuff. <clears throat> I suppose it's technically the way that would go. And then uh, Simone, and I'm going to butcher this name because it is extremely French and it's just not going to go well. <laughs> La Liberté, I believe it is. Simone La Liberté will become the GM. Uh, Simone's 27. He was the head of the communications and marketing department with the Shawinigan. They're a QMJHL team. They got a really cool uh, Native American head as their logo. You could look it up. Uh, if you'd like, but uh, he seems to be fairly young moving into this role. I'm going to be very interested to see what uh, happens with Three Rivers this year, but uh, yeah, just some behind-the-scenes movement for people that uh, like that sort of thing. They, I mean, they sound like... Uh... <laughs> they, they, they sound like uh, bo both sound like good hires, especially... I, I'm not going to even try. I, I'm going to say S Simone? Simone? Is that yeah, yeah, it def it's definitely Simone, but Simone. Uh, yeah, it's the last name that gets me. Yeah, so I feel like 27 is very, very young for for a position like this. But listen, he 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 seems qualified. Uh, he, he knows how to run like a minor league. Clearly knows how to run uh, at least the marketing side of a of a of a minor league sports franchise. And that's really what's super important, especially in the world of independent baseball and something that you'd like to see 
uh, Three Rivers improve on. Uh, Something they definitely need to improve on as they're moving, as they're transitioning from the Can-Am League to the Frontier League. So I I think that these sound like, these seem like good moves, especially I think with, um, you know, um, Simone being 27 years old. I think that that helps him. They know what um, he he's bring, could bring a lot of fresh ideas to the table. So I, I think they, they seem like uh, they seem like qualified hires, good hires. And and I, I think you'd agree. There's probably um, they, they definitely need to have some improvements in the in the marketing and attendance department. You'd like to you'd really like to see um, th- down the line. So hoping that hoping they could bring that to them. Yeah, and no, they were traditionally a lower attended club, at least in the Can Am League for the last couple of years. Although they were a good team here, but it is going to be interesting to see how he kind of makes that transition from the Can Am League to the Frontier League. I think it would have been a bit more interesting if we would have went through this last year when we still expected to play, and there was a lot more that needed to be done in that time frame. Now it's been, you know, a whole year where I think you can kind of say, all right, well, now there's even larger amount of your roster is probably already turned over so it's a bit more different i would say but it is still going to be interesting to see how he handles that plus all the behind the scenes stuff i mean the roster is as much a gm as it is the the coach so that is you know a little less uh daunting but having him handle all the other gm roles the business aspect of it is what's going to be extremely interesting to see here and again and i know we keep pointing this out but he's 27 i mean the, the guy's only four years older than i am so i mean it's it's a little it's surprising to see that but uh at the same time uh, good for him uh, you know i'm gonna be yeah. very interested to watch uh, what happens there yeah great for him yep uh, with that, we go to the Atlantic League uh, tryout camp. It's going to be in Vera, Florida again from March 19th to the 21st, held at the USSSA Space Coast Complex, hosted by... How, Trump- many, how many S's was that, Nick? SSS, triple S. Ooh, three yeah, S's. Three S's. I know. I was surprised when I saw the uh, the whole thing, but I assume it's like... United States Space something or some United States Space Sports Association. I don't I don't know what the hell it means. A lot of a lot of S's. It's a lot of S's. Maybe it was like a snake coming up with that and they just were like uh, I guess <laughs> three S's. Something like that. Uh any case it's gonna be hosted by Prospect Dugout for I believe now the third year they're gonna go to uh the Craig Maddox led organization. Major League Baseball, other partner league staff will also be in attendance. So uh, for more details, you can go over to Prospect Dugout for that. We have the official announcement on the uh, on the show notes. So you can take a look at that there if you're a player or someone that's interested in uh, more information on the camp. Yeah, I think to me with these with these Prospect Dugout, like Atlantic League showcases, the thing that I'm always interested to see and you'd have to you'd have to imagine that it'll it'll come through at some point. Uh, is really just the guaranteed contracts, and I guess that it's not something you could really finalize until you know you know who's in the league. So uh, I, I guess that that still remains to be seen. But that's always the most interesting uh, the the most interesting aspect of these tryout camps to me is just to see like the guaranteed contracts. And listen, I, I know the twenty twenty. Uh, showcase ended up i think it got postponed at one point and then it just ended up 
uh, really happening toward the end of the fall, but really for the the 2021 20, season. Mm. Uh, but at the time, it was a big deal because 20 uh, of of the Road Warriors were going to come from that tryout camp. I, it's re- really the, the thing that interests me is the guaranteed contracts. And I guess you can't really know that until you know who's, who's in the league and how many teams you have. Uh, but that, and listen, there's been, there's been some guys, some really legit guys that have come out of this camp before. If you remember John Neese, who oh, was yeah. probably the, the biggest name at the, the tryout camp, the first tryout camp, I believe. I mean, you could kind of call last year's second tryout camp really the first one. And John Neese came and pitched in a, in a couple of years. Looked good. The Ducks signed him. Shocking, shockingly, the Ducks signed him because yeah. he's a former Met. I mean that that was the most appalling news of the day. I know. And really, then, they're um, more they're more pertaining to Yankee players over there. <laughs> I mean, and then John Neese made one uh, one spring training start against the Black Sox, and then against one of the Black Sox teams, and yeah. then boom, he was he was on his way to Tacoma, Washington, the next day uh, to go play for the Mariners AAA team. So the, you really do have some talent that come out of these showcases, and so that that's really going to be something that that's going to be interesting interesting to watch, and, and definitely got to keep an eye on the uh, on the number of guaranteed contracts as well. Yeah, but it's going to be interesting to see the names that roll through there. I imagine if Gastoni announces their manager, they're going to be fairly active in trying to get guys from this camp. Uh, probably is your best opportunity before you hold your own tryouts and the like to really get that top cream of the crop type of players i know they hauled in one or two guys from the last camp i believe it was and i think you were saying when you looked through all the names that they they got the one guy of note and yeah uh, yeah and former first rounder back in the day yeah so who knows maybe they may are able to grab a couple other names here but first they need uh, a manager and a whole player procurement uh staffing before they can really start to get busy on that but uh who knows who knows yeah yeah i think that's about good for them and we now had the really the last bit of news today again it's going to be shorter because there really is not much in the news department here and really is just an update on some independent league guys that are down in mexico and latin america so we are going to we're going to cover this a bit uh today so uh lmp i again i do not know exactly what the uh abbreviations are for i just believe the lmp is kind of the lower between the lmp and lmb lmb i think is kind of more the mexican major league and then the the lmp is kind of the mexican minor league i guess is how it is i don't really know i think will knows more about that than i do at least at this present moment and uh, lmp playoffs are going to be streamed on lmp and vivo.com uh, it costs like two bucks a game if you want to if you want to watch that, or you could also watch Australian League Baseball on the American Association uh, streaming service as well. You got a bunch of options there, uh, but we do have some news from some guys. Uh, Thomas Dormady, uh, obviously a former Somerset guy, he moved up to LMB with Gorky's Hernandez, a, a name that I'm sure oh, some people Red know. Red Sox legend. I remember watching him play in Myrtle Beach. Red Sox legend. He, he, ta- he tossed me a ball once, and, and when oh, he was in AAA with the Red Sox, that was exciting times. Oh yeah, that's cool. Because I was the I was the only one who knew his name. Because <laughs> baseball nerd that I am, he's like, "Oh my god, you know you you know my name." I'm like, "Yeah, hell yeah, Gorky's Hernandez, the legend." 
with a name like Gorky's, of course you gotta know. I just remember that name because I got a a pack of playing cards, not playing cards, a pack of trading cards from uh, Myrtle Beach the one year we went down there. And right. he had him in the set there, so I was like, Gorky's, now that's a name. That it is a terrific name. And uh, yeah, he played with uh, with Pawtucket in, uh, like, well, 2019 now, but... Um, yeah. But obviously, Pawtucket doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But you know, but you know, as far as the uh, you mentioned Thomas Dormany. Uh, listen, Thomas Dormany has he has succeeded at every independent level uh, he's been at so far. He was he was really really good in the Frontier League with the Washington Wild things, which led him getting to, uh, getting an opportunity uh, to go to uh, to go to Somerset. He was outstanding in Somerset. Got picked up from Somerset. Went to Taiwan, and and, uh, and of course, last year, as American Association fans will certainly know, basically acted as the Chicago Dogs' ace uh, this year. And he was able to get a shot into the Mexican Winter League. And, and it sounds like now he's been one of the league's top starting pitchers, and and is now uh, going to get a shot in in the Mexican Summer League uh, next year and get a bit get a big payday as well. I mean, let's. I mean, he he's you're not you're not going to meet a nicer guy. He is he 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 works really hard. He's really paid his dues in in indie ball, and I'm 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 so excited that he that he's able to get a shot. Um, that he's able he's going to be able to get a shot in Mexico next year. I, I really can't wait to see how he does. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see how he does there. And obviously, uh, if it doesn't work out in Mexico, he has a slew of other fallback options now as well. So he will have it. He, he will he he will be able to pick his next uh, destination uh, in in indie ball. It's any league, any team. He 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 will have his choice. Yeah. So good on him for that. Uh, we know Ryan Newell also got cut from his team. Uh, kind of surprising there. I believe the race had picked him up at one point. So I'm a little bit uh, surprising there. He was really good for Sussex for a couple of years there, I believe it was. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm curious to see if he if he winds up somewhere else playing in the winter or if it's back to indie ball or what his deal is. But he was a very good uh, reliever for for the minors. I remember that. And also Joe Van Meter, he has kind of skipped out on the Mexican leagues and went to the Dominican league. Right. Yeah. I mean, more money there, but, uh, exactly. more money, a lot of, I mean, I mean, you see how, how well David Kubiak's done in the Dominican winter league. And then, yeah. uh, Rod, then Robinson Cano took him deep. Twice, I think. <laughs> but let's twice? be nice. Oh. Robinson Cano was like, probably like juiced up before the game anyway. So David, so David <laughs> Kubiak really should have rightfully struck him out. Yes. But, but to be uh, fair, didn't David Kubiak get lit up his first game in the Somerset series? He did, but dude, there was so many. It, the Somerset series was so. I mean, we're we're talking about one game a week. Uh, he he did, you know. I'm just saying, you shouldn't be letting guys that were went from playing in like NAIA. But he he won the pitcher of the year in the Dominican in the in the Dominican. I'm not saying what he's doing in the Dominican isn't good. He's he's great in the Dominican, but I'm just saying. To say him getting taken deep by a major leaguer is, uh, you know, I'm just saying, when you let guys... No, 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 that, yeah. no, no, you must understood what I said. Yeah. You misunderstood, you, I, I know Robinson Cano is a good, is a good major league player. I know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying David Kubiak should have struck him out. Yeah. I'm saying that, you know, because of, uh, 
yet another PED suspension for Robinson Cano. Uh, it would have been nice to see Kubiak strike him out. Unfortunately, that uh, that did not happen. Hmm. Fair, fair. As far as Ryan Newell, the thing I wanted to touch on him yeah. a little bit. Uh, he really he. He was, a, he was a really good reliever for Sussex for a couple of years. It's just the thing is with, with winter leagues, it's such a short season and they have so many guys circling in there. You don't get much of a chance. Like, for example, if Ryan Newell, let's say, goes to, for sake of example, plays for Sussex next year and has a rough first two, like two weeks, like you wouldn't think any, you wouldn't really think much of it. I mean, you'd be like, oh, well, he'll, he'll figure it out eventually. But you, you don't get that chance in winter leagues. I mean, mm. you, you struggle to start the year. I mean, they have they have plenty of guys that are, that are just chomping at the bit uh, to that they can bring in right behind you. So I, I think it, you have a short lease, and that's the same for for all winter leagues, really. So I don't think that's really too indicative of how how good he is as a pitcher. And I would expect him to be, if, if of course, if he wants to continue playing, he'll he'll, he'll have a spot back in in indie ball somewhere. Mm. Yeah, I suppose. I just still, I was a bit surprised to see him get cut. I don't really follow much of the winter league, so a lot of this is just real foreign to me. How all of that works, so you know. Oh yeah, I mean, like you have a couple bad atoms, you're you're cut. That's just how it works. Well, that's cutthroat, real cutthroat over there. Oh, it is. No, it definitely is. Yep. So with that, I, I'm out of stuff here. There was more in the uh, in the other guys, but I just I just kind of picked from the names that were probably the most well known and ran with that. So uh, yeah, we're we're out of stuff here to talk about. So I guess we could kind of go to the plugs here as we just crossed over the 40 minute mark. Um, yeah. So if you want, well, hey, don't forget though, Dustin Peterson's raking for oh, yeah. Sugarland Skeeter. Okay, yeah. So, so I mean, eleven home that, runs in thirty. Eleven home runs in thirty-seven games. Okay, Goodness, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's he, good. my man. DJ's hitting, or excuse me, Dustin's hitting some. Oh wait, Dustin's. Oh, Dustin. Okay, that's the mix-up I had then. Okay. Dustin Peterson, the former ma- former major leaguer, his brother DJ played for Sugarland. Ah. And and DJ played nine games in Mexico, and then was released. You know, Goodness. that was a wild ride right there. Yeah, can you tell me that, can, can you t- can everyone tell that we're Winter League experts? Look, this is not Winter League report. This is Indie Ball report. Yeah, that's very true. They know what they signed up for when they listened to this show. <laughs> we've been doing this now since, like, 2019, okay? Like, we've done this in three separate years Nearly two straight years. You know at this point, okay, you had ample warning as to what this is about. And if you still crossed over, whatever happens, happens. It's, it's beware. Exactly. You know what you're getting. Exactly. You saw a sign, beware of dog. If you hop that fence and you get bit in the ass, that's what just happens. <laughs> exactly. So, uh. I guess with all that, now we can actually go to the plugs here and kind of move on. Hopefully, we'll have an interview for next week or at least exciting news or some sort of long-reaching discussion topic we could drag out for a half hour. But, uh, you know, we'll figure that out when the time comes for that. Besides, it's New Year's, so, you know, I'm sure we both have uh, other things we want to be doing besides this. So, (laughs) uh, 
we'll uh, go to the plugs now. If you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do so at IndieBallReport or at ALPB underscore news. If you'd like to view the show notes and by extension, any of the links we have for the show. So the partnership streaming schedule for the Australian League, the American Association, or the prospect dugout link. Those are in the show notes on the website, indieballreport.com. You can look that up there, or it's normally in the link in the bios of most of our uh, pages here, I think. At least the Twitter one I know, and I think the Instagram one's just the most recent episode there. But uh, you can figure it out. Just Google search. It'll come up one of the first, like, five things that comes up. So uh, have fun with that. And uh, likewise, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe uh, wherever you find your podcast. So that would be TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, Deezer, Amazon Music, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Like I said, just about wherever you can find podcasts we're on there so rate review and subscribe to that and with that said do we have anything else left to add so i i have one quick thing to add and then one like a legitimate one legitimate thing uh first quick mention jack hughes put on put on 16 pounds of muscle uh this off season so my man is ready to go and take the league by storm this year and hopefully the devils finish sixth place in the uh in the uh eastern division this year or whatever expectations i see what whatever they're calling it sixth i'm hoping for sixth, maybe sixth. i don't know we'll see uh and then really put high expectations on this team like as long as i just don't finish the last or second to last it's okay Dude, this division is stacked. I- I'm being realistic here. Yeah, but Boston's not that good anymore. I mean, like, nah. they're damaged, and they're not that great. They're on the decline. Pittsburgh's on the decline. Can I'm not sold that Philly can repeat what they did last year, so that knocks three off the top. So, really, it's Washington, the two New York teams, and, like, I'm forgetting one of them. That's decent. So, I mean, like, there's four teams that's in front there. This division's not that hard, I don't think, because Buffalo, well, they're still Buffalo. Until they prove they're not Buffalo, I'm not convinced otherwise. I I think you're putting, you're assuming the Devils are going to be better than those teams. I don't don't see it. I'm just looking for improvement, specifically from Jack Hughes. But anyway, my second uh, and more more important take here, I definitely needed to throw a Jack Hughes thing in here. But my second thing is, the college football playoff, uh, to, we're recording on New Year's Day, so it will be happening later today. I mean, Alabama will win by whatever they want to win by, and then uh, we'll see Alabama Clemson again. Uh, however, they really, really need to expand the playoff to eight teams. And let me tell you why. We're, at this point, you're really having teams that are not in the Power Five conferences, like they, for example, Cincinnati. Cincinnati went undefeated, destroyed everybody in their path. Congrat! But then they've made the ultimate end goal for any non-power five team. That oh, congratulations! You go to the Peach Bowl. Like who? You're making these teams at, at the at the beginning of the season have a goal of oh, let's get to the Peach Bowl. Like that's that's their goal every year, and, and it's sad. And and they really need to give these teams a chance. I'm not saying it won't be Alabama Clemson in the in the championship. It probably will, but you've got to give more of these teams a chance to actually compete for a national title. And it seems like the fans want it, the coaches want it, the players want it. I don't know why the NCAA wouldn't want it. 
it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me. And and, and I know there's some people that say, oh, you well, you're just going to keep arguing for expansion 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 until everybody get uh, until everybody gets in but then you also but I, I would say i really think eight is a is the right number because you have the power five champions um one group of five champions and um what's it called and two at large and two at large bids uh two non-conference uh uh two teams that did not win their conference and they go into the playoffs. I just think it gives every, it gives every team a chance to actually And even if it is still Alabama Clemson, again, take away these stupid conference championship games, have the, have the just basically determine conference champion based on what you see in the regular season. And then, put together an 18 playoff it makes so much sense because if i have to watch alabama play notre dame or oklahoma in the first round again and just and, and it, it's just not it's just not as interesting as it could be there's so much potential that that they're leaving on the table and they really need to make an 18 playoff like badly i will say I, they i wouldn't necessarily say you have to say okay we need to expand the playoff i think the committee just needs to say we're willing to put in non-power five teams if they're better like I agree. I, I no, look at the I, top, I, like if they were willing to do that, then perfectly well and good. Because I, I think if you expand it to eight, that. they're not going to put in non-power fives. Like let's be honest here, if they if you expand to eight this year, they'd still screw Cincinnati over. They put them at nine. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but that that's where you need the, the you need the best group of five champion in the uh, as an automatic bid. So you don't let the committee screw them over. I mean, you're right. If, if since if Cincinnati wasn't good enough for you to put them in, then there's not going to be a group of five team. That's good enough for you to put them in that. Plus, I mean, like you can even make a case for the Shanna Claire's. I think, I mean, they you were could. 11 and Oh, they, they cannot do much better than that. Plus their crowning win was against BYU, which was another, what were they, about top 10 at the time? They were top 15, I know, for certain. But Yeah, definitely they, top 15. Yeah, they played them on short notice. They had, what, three, four days to prepare for that game? Yeah. And they go out and they won. And, I mean, there's not much more you could really do there. And I will say this much. I think, at least as far as the playoffs concerned, just start putting non-power fives in there. I don't really care about the playoff at all. I do say one thing I do want to see changed is stop giving the kind of play-ins for the uh, playoff being the first round games, I guess it would technically be your semifinal games. Don't make that like the Rose Bowl or something. Let them stand independent of that. I don't I like definitely that. agree. Yeah, like I, I definitely agree. It's not the Rose Bowl. Exactly. It's, it's not, not like the Rose Bowl has a tradition of okay, we won the Rose Bowl. It should yeah. be the best team from the Pac-12 and the best team from the Big Ten, they play each other and the winner wins the Rose Bowl. That's what yeah. it should be. Or if it, one of those teams makes the playoff, fine, go with the next best available team to fill that spot. Right. That's what it should be. Like, we should be watching who won the Pac-12 this year? Oregon. Oregon? Okay, yes. Yeah, we should be seeing Oregon versus, like, technically Ohio State because Ohio State has no business being in the playoff because they played, what, seven games? Six. Six. Oh, that's so much better. Six games. Yeah. Six games. Yeah, they played half the schedule everyone else played, and they're in. But really, we should be watching Ohio versus uh, Oregon, but now being that they're in a playoff, which would be Northwestern or Indiana versus Oregon that we should be seeing for the Rose Bowl. And now if you win it, and then you go on to lose in the national championships, like, well, we won a Rose Bowl, 
and it shouldn't be something up and no, you know? Like, that's what annoys me about the whole playoff thing. I agree. If you want to play the game, if you want to play a semifinal game at the Rose Bowl, you're more than welcome to, but that's not the Rose Bowl. Exactly. It's just not. Like, just like it's not the Sugar Bowl. It's not the Cotton Bowl. These are bowls that, you know, they have some stature to them. If you want to do this where you have to give them a bowl or something, then give them one of the garbage bowls that no one cares about. You know, like the AutoZone Bowl or some garbage like that. AutoZone Liberty Bowl. The Glidden or, or the Duke's bowl. Mayo Bowl. The Duke's Mayo Bowl. No, that one doesn't have a trophy anymore. Ah, uh, yeah, it, it went bye-bye. Yeah. So, I mean, like, there, there's better options for that, but I do think we do need to see more uh, non-Power 5s or, what are they, like, G5 conferences, I think? Was group, group of five, technically, is group what they're five. called. Uh, okay, so group of five conferences. We need to see more of them in there. I just, you know, I think they've been screwing over a lot of them. Although, I will say, the reason why they don't, I think that's purely uh, economical. Because, let's be honest here, yeah. what's going to draw more? Uh, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and uh, Ohio? Or Clemson, Alabama, and then you throw in like Cincinnati and Texas A and M. Yeah, Alabama and Notre Dame will do ratings. Exactly, that, that's 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 the truth. And Clemson now too, because now they're the trendy team. Yeah, yep. And Ohio State's always good because they always have a following. Yep, exactly. So I mean, like, that's the real reason behind that there. But uh, is, and, and you know what? And, and and the last thing I'll say about this is, will, will it still be Alabama Clemson in the national championship game? Sure. It, it probably it probably will be. I'm not saying a team like Cincinnati would beat Alabama because they probably won't. But that's what college sports that's what you see in college basketball all the time. You see these these David and Goliath matchups that you never see in, in college football with so much on the line. I, I just really hope we see that at some point. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's the fun of March Madness. Hell, that's the fun of even the uh the Frozen Four and the NCAA yep. hockey. I mean, you see teams like Ferris State win it all, and you're like, Ferris State? Ferris yeah. State just did that? Then, of course, you have your uh, Buddy O'Connor moments where you throw the goal, the puck into your own goal, which isn't great, and then everyone just stands around going, holy crap, that's how Providence is going to win this game? But uh, I will say, speaking of the Frozen Four, my, uh, my mom went to Union. Okay. If you remember when they won. Yep. That was a, that was a pretty big deal in my house. Yeah, yeah. that was the year they had like Shane Goss to spare, and I think like Mike Veranucci. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Good team. team. Yeah, no, that's a fun team. I'm just looking forward, and hopefully, my North Dakotas will will win again. They were cheated last year. They should have, you know, had a shot at it, but they didn't. Instead, they got named co-champions because they finished tied at one with Cornell in the poll. But we all deserved to see that Frozen Four matchup between Cornell and North Dakota, and we didn't. And uh, yeah, I, I don't really have anything else left to add today. I, I'm pretty good. So uh, well, I guess after 10 minutes of a, we talked, I think longer with uh, the assorted talk than we did about anything else <laughs> with the exception of the partnership. Gotta, gotta love the indie ball report. Exactly. You never know what you're going to get. It's a box you never of chocolates. Know what you're gonna get. Yeah. It's the box of chocolates podcast now. Exactly. But uh, yeah. So with that said, nothing else left to add. Uh, we'll end the show as we end every show. Don't forget to play ball. Thank you.